Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. I would love for you, before we start broadcast or recording the podcast, uh, for since we're on live video streaming to the entire world, I'd like you to show the entire world what shirt you're wearing. Oh, check this out. <laughs> it's pretty nice. <laughs> this arrived in the mail yesterday um, from Graham. It's kind of a... <laughs> I, I think he think it, it, he thinks it really bothers me, and 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 it does really deep down. Uh, I think what did the message say? Something like "Eat it, Python." <laughs> it's a Julius shirt, by the way, and, I'm, and now I guess I so, have yeah. to edit this into the podcast episode. Uh, but I'm very glad. I'm very happy. The world is very happy to see you wearing that shirt, man. I love it. It's definitely the geekiest shirt I own. It's from um, it's from Zazzle, I believe. Graham said he he, uh, he got well. It said on the packet, and I must say I really like the fabric. It's really uh, it's really nice. It's kind of a kind of like a, a a running type shirt, but halfway between that and cotton. So it doesn't look super technical. But it anyway, just FYI, Zazzle shirt seemed to be awesome. All right, oh, God. here we go. I'm gonna kick us off. Um, okay. Hi everybody. Welcome to Undersampled Radio episode. 20, I think, but uh, I messed that up last week, so just um, don't listen to me for the remainder of the show. Um, <laughs> we're here with a couple of interesting folks today, uh, one of whom is Matt Hall. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> can, we, uh, can you tell us about um, your first bullet point there? Uh, oh, what news? We're just, that's it? We're, that's it. No more, no no more niceties? Chop, chop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, oh, I think I've got a migraine coming on now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if I could really call this a news item yet. It's more like uh, something that's just creeping onto the edge of the radar. But um, David Holmes yesterday... Wait, this is... Case. You were the one that wrote it into the news items, by the way. Yeah, I, it must have been... I think I had a... <laughs> I can't writes remember. it into news. And I can't remember writing this. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I accept what you're saying. Uh, so David Holmes, who is the um, awesome, uh, he's an EVP, I think, uh, EMC, uh, put something on Slack saying, hey, uh, check it out. Landmark, as I'm quoting here, Landmark just gave OpenWorks and the Decision Space platform to an open community project, exclamation mark. And a link to uh, www.openearth.community. It's another one of those funky um, URLs. So openearth.community. You can go there, but there really isn't much there. There's a little bit of um, blurb, uh, some kind of cool words in it about um, you know software, openness, technology, awesome. Uh, and then you can email someone. It turns out the email is to a chap at, um, at Landmark Graphics. So Landmark is the company that makes OpenWorks and Decision Space. And uh, so it turns out they're behind, I guess, this Open Earth community. But um, I didn't write this down in the show notes. But 
I think uh, David put it on Slack that it's a sort of consortium of a bunch of companies, including you know Shell and Total and some others, uh, and also some technology companies, including AMC. And that's basically all we know right now. So uh, Graham and I reached out to um, to this chap at Landmark via David to see if he wanted to come on to Undersampled Radio to chat about what the Open Earth community is and what they're going to do with an open source, open works slash decision space, um, you know, which all could be totally incredible and awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very curious about it. And basically, that's all I know. So end of story. Pretty cool. Yes, it will be. And we hope to have uh, What's-His-Face on the show pretty soon. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Hope, like, it, 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 I mean, he's a strategy and business guy. I did some sort of uh, stalking on the internet, I guess. And it's just a strategy and business guy. So pretty high level, but, you know, I, I think we'll be able to hopefully excite us all with, you know, I, I'm hoping that this is like a, a, they've had some kind of epiphany about the power of open source uh, community and technology and um, are going to bring some real dollars to the space, basically, you know, that's that's kind of what it comes down to. Some real clout uh, as well, I guess, marketing reach and that kind of thing. So, I'm excited. Okay, so next on the list, <laughs> we're moving right along here. We got a show to do, man. Uh, yeah. Data from images. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't know if I can talk about that. Oh, I will literally talk for an hour. Okay. So, I, I've mentioned it before. It's a pet project. It, it, it came up again because of the, the thing that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, which was an Elsevier contest for like dark data recovery. Um, by the way, that contest, the deadline was the 31st of August, but they've pushed it back now to the 16th of September. So uh, A, more time. B, probably not quite enough people. So <laughs> both of those things are good. Um, so maybe an opportunity there. My particular project with, that I'm working on with um, Matteo, uh, who we've had on the show before, with Matteo Nicoli, and uh, also Diego Castaneda, who's a chap here in Halifax, uh, among others, is basically extracting data, a scientific image of, say, a map or a seismic section. Uh, uh, when you, so without knowing the color bar, can you figure out what the data looked like? Um, I, had a bit of a breakthrough working on that. It basically comes down to uh, the heart of it is a graph theory problem, uh, traversing a graph in the sh with the shortest route. And it's just been a fun learning experience like these things always are, where you're sort of connecting ideas about RGB color spaces and k-mean string and graph theory. And it's just fun to play with. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk at length <laughs> again. Uh, about it sometime in the future because it's kind of a work in progress. That, that's it. So what, anyway, look, uh, what? How is an NP problem? We're not we're not getting into NP right now. Uh, <laughs> did I did I bring that up? I did. I apologise. Uh, again, evidently wrote these notes in a hurry. Julia inverter thing that you talked about before. You're saying you published that now? Are you, are you speaking to me still? Has Graham? His picture is frozen. Has Graham gone? Unbelievable. I, that explains why he's not interrupting me. He did this <laughs> to me last week. 
I tell you what, why don't we just let him jump in with, if he wants to talk about his Julia inverter thing, uh, we'll, he can do that next time. <laughs> uh, instead, I'm going to move along with introducing you, Jasper, and then we can have a chat. Sound good? That sounds um, awesome. So, Jasper's an awesome young geophysicist. He's uh, just recently started a PhD in, uh, at, in, in Copenhagen. Is it the Technical University of Copenhagen? Am I saying that right? Uh, almost. It's Technical University of Denmark. I don't know. Of Denmark yeah. in Copenhagen. And um, he's also a very active blogger and social media uh, dude. He's active on Twitter. I think, actually, Twitter is probably how I met you, uh, so to speak. Um, Jesper and I actually got to meet in person at EAGE this year, which was awesome fun, and indeed were housemates for a little while, uh, so that was cool. He blogs at The Way of the Geophysicist. I think it's, um, well, go on. It's the-geophysicist.com. Com. Dot com. So the-geophysicist.com, find him there. And, yeah, just all-round awesome German geophysicist guy. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Where are you today, Jesper? Excuse me? Where are you? Uh, I'm actually home. So I'm okay. in Copenhagen, right in the center right now. I figured my microphone at home might be nicer than anything I can build up from uh, from the office. So, yeah. Right. I, I remember you telling me you were enjoying your bike out to the university site. Are you still, uh, are you still doing that? Yes, very much. Very much. Um, I, I really... I really started to love Copenhagen, and I, I don't know the the university as well. Um, so my my experience to the end in Hamburg wasn't too well. It was very stressful, and our institute wasn't working so well mm. anymore. And now I'm coming into this okay. fresh institute that is um, full of ideas, feeling itself like a startup a little bit, and. We're having these workshops about culture and communication, and we have all sorts of data available and all sorts of software available, and it's just general awesomeness um, all around. And yeah, Copenhagen itself is also really nice. I really like it here, all the old buildings. And I don't know, the Danes, they have this word, uh, which is has, has kind of world famousness now. It's uh, hygge. And um, it, it means yeah. this coziness uh, that you that you find, and you really feel that here. You can like get candles and pillows and all that stuff everywhere. <laughs> and uh, if, if you don't make your home cozy, you're gonna have a terrible time when summer is over. And I don't know if it has started yet. Today was a really warm day, but um, that was kind of a surprise. So yeah. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. really cool. If you get yeah. to come here, come here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I last was there. I think 2000. I want to say 2012. EAG was there. Um, mm -hmm. So that and uh, been there once. I ran the marathon there many years ago, and uh, it's just such a fantastic city. It was. Um, it was kind of, at least coming from Norway and the UK kind of thing felt like a mixture of Scandinavia with like continental Europe you know it's got the Scandinavian kind of mindset and the the hygge and all that kind of thing and the the awesome people and just really chilled out but with the kind of Mediterranean not Mediterranean but uh, Western European kind of 
cafe tables on the street and that kind of thing, which you don't find in Norway. Oh yeah, <laughs> very often. And it's cheap uh, yeah, it's Norway still. <laughs> and it's yeah, <laughs> without Norway's crazy uh, crazy prices. So you're so it's really cool that you're still really enjoying Copenhagen and and the it sounds like you're also really enjoying the new university environment and the team that you're in or the the research group. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, right now we're let me count. So we're two seniors. One of them is also a geophysicist. The only other one at the entire center. Um, well, with me, and uh, <laughs> then we have a senior. Fracture specialist. Um, they're both called Michaels, mm. so it gets very complicated when you talk to others about our well, kind of bosses, because it's always Michael. And then we have a postdoc in um, sedimentology coming now on first uh, September, and one is already working, who's also a fracture specialist from Stanford. So that's kind of cool. And um, my my other colleague is um, this super smart young lady from Norway, and um, on the paper she's a sedimentologist, but um, that's just because they didn't have geophysics where she decided to do her master, and right now she's just doing BHI and all that stuff and diving nose first into, let's call it vintage data. <laughs> I don't know. I I like this word. Vintage. It just describes. It still has some value, but um, it might might taste really, really bad. So yeah. <laughs> so um, what what is that? What is the group then? You say there's only one other geophysicist in the in the group. What's the group sort of uh, you know task in life? Uh, we're reservoir characterization. So what we're what we're planning to do is in the uh, Danish north. See, we have chalk fields, so they they say they're naturally fractured, and to a certain extent that might be true. Um, but the further north you go, the less true it is. So what the uh, what has been happening is that the recovery rate has been dropping very steeply. So Merska said, okay, um, we have to do something about this. So they took one billion kroner. Um, divided by 7.5, then you have euros, so maybe divided by 8, then you have US dollars, I think, um, and gave it to, to our center, the DHRTC, which was founded in 2014, and said, here, solve this. And what we're doing is advanced water flooding. So they're planning to do a lot of um, pilot projects of, of water flooding and asking us to um, give some new input how to better do this because how it's mostly done is just they pump seawater in and hope all the oil gets out and usually what happens is some oil gets out and then you just start producing the same water that you just pumped in. So um, through what, what we're trying is to get a fracture model into the um, dynamic reservoir models um, because what's usually done is the fractures in a in a um, in a normal model like in a petrol model or a reservoir model are just an optimization parameter. So what someone 
numerically matches um, or inverts for the fracture coefficient, let's say like that, and that has nothing to do with the reality. And um, we're, we're trying to improve in that case. Yep, that's it. So your background is in imaging, right? I mean, how did you how did you get into this water flooding research? Um, basically, they wanted someone who has seen seismic before, and uh, I was mm -hmm. the most suitable person, um, since I have a strong physics background and a strong, um, actually, uh, like processing background. Um, they were very happy to uh, take me into the group. Um, to be honest, that is a very hard question because I feel a lot out of the group. They're all geologists. They know about fractures, chalk, carbonates, all that stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I like waves and I can't see your fractures yes. in my waves. Um, so I, I guess coming coming from that, it's, it's mostly they wanted someone that knows what geophysicists do to their data and build on that. And I'm very happy to do that. Yeah, it sounds like an awesome diverse group. Are you, how much seismic work are you doing? Um, a lot, actually. Well, right now I'm, I'm a bit in the literature study uh, point, but um, what I'm doing right now is trying to um, take different attributes to build a fracture map out of one of the reservoir data we have. And from this fracture um, network, compare it to BHI imaging to see if our reservoir model will actually be um, upscalable. So that's kind of the plan, what I'm doing right now. So I'm having a look at all these 3D data attributes, which is kind of fun, because in my old university, we didn't even have the hardware to deal with 3D seismics. So wow. <laughs> Well, it's going to be exciting. It I'm, I'm, it's this super steep learning curve. Basically, every day I go into work, I'm, okay, what are we going to do today? Okay, I guess we're learning patrol. Fun. So <laughs> stuff like that happens. Every week I go out of this university, I know more. And that is an amazing feeling. So are you able to apply... So, um... Your your uh, master's work is in is in an imaging yes. specialty. Are you able to apply some of that research in this? Are, are you doing your own imaging, for example? Are you uh, creating your own attributes? This type of stuff. Um, it's it's a bit um, detached from it, I think. So what what I've done in my master's, maybe to recap it, is um, try different. Um, different methods to improve the the energy content below a salt structure. Um, so use multi um, multi. Um, no, not attribute. We're not not at attributes at the moment. But uh, to to improve on CMP stacking and uh, get more energy from the subsalt content, and that did not work too well. Um, so this work was very, very processing side. And um, in, in the oil and gas center right now, I have the done and migrated stuff. And now I'm trying to extract the attributes from there. So I'd say there is a divide in it. I'm, I'm building on the knowledge that I have. So when I'm looking at the, at the logs, 
of what people have done to the data. I know exactly what's been done. And I can tell my colleagues, yeah, they, they did this, 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 this. Be careful about these assumptions in there. And they must be totally annoyed about uh, <laughs> about me talking about assumptions in the data because it's, yes. it's very vague. It makes you feel a bit smart to talk about assumptions because you're like, yeah, I know this stuff. But um, yeah. at, at some points when, when you're looking at at this process that only works isotropically, you you are very careful um, about your fractures because they might introduce anisotropy in your data. So you that I think that is a good point to to have me in there. So are you doing uh, fracture analysis on seismic data, which was completely processed isotropically? Nope. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. I that's why I was looking looking through all the logs, if this is kosher. <laughs> right. I, I see. But do you have access Excellent. to well, the the gathers yet or anything like that? Um, you mean like pre-stack data or? Uh, uh, just... Yeah. I have no clue actually. I'm I'm just gathering. All, all I have, most of the stuff we have uh, gotten from Maersk, which is the Danish or one of the Danish oil companies, um, we gotten in Petrol projects. So I think it's um, post deck data cubes. Um, right, right, right. And ha but, and I, I guess at some point you'll be getting into um, into time lapse. I imagine they've already probably done some time lapse on the project. They have. Um, they have definitely, um, and it's really nice because their newest seismic surveys are actually designed to do 4D, so that's very good. On the on the down field, we have, well, the the first survey didn't match the second survey, so they just repeated the second survey to match the first survey, and um, still left the, well, that would be the third. Survey. So the second survey was still left to match all the subsequent surveys that are going to be done in this uh, future, which seems a bit backward to do, but it works. Um, we we have some nice 4D data uh, that we can work on, and um, I'm well. I'm right now these weeks. I have been working on which data is available and which data do we want to ask for. And a lot of that is 4D data because I'm the only one interested in it in my group, so we don't have a lot of it yet. Um, right. Well, I I feel like your um, the, the knowledge that you 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 gain through your your masters around imaging and the signal processing stuff will really will really help you out when you start thinking about um, whether whether it's Obviously, the azimuthal imaging stuff, but also on the 4D side, with um, just being able to read what kind of processing has been through and what what you feel like you can do afterwards to improve the images and so on. So, I mean, I think it'll still pay dividends in this project. If it, it feels like. So, you guys worked on a book together. Yes. Right. It's called 50 things, 52 things you should know about geology, and I need to link that in the show notes right now. Um, <laughs> How'd that go? What's it about? Uh, well, I, I, um, have, have I have I not blathered about these books on the show before? 
Um, maybe not this specific. No, book. not that one. Okay, so that was the second. So there's a series of a series of books. Uh, the fourth one's just about to come out um, on rock physics. This this one that you're talking about, geology, is the second one that we did. Um, so it's a multi-author volume. I can't remember how many authors that particular book has, but I think it's something like 45-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, basically involves uh, <laughs> me or me and Evan writing to everyone we can think of and like and admire um, uh, who, who sort of might be into the idea, who might quote-unquote get it, uh, to write a short essay about anything they want. Ideally, slightly edgy topics. That, that sort of We really like it when people write about the kind of things they might talk about in the pub or like <laughs> slightly ranty things or slightly uh, speculative things. Uh, because this, these books aren't supposed to be sort of textbooks. They're supposed to be, uh, what would you call them, cultural artifacts. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little that makes them sound much grander than they actually are. But that was the kind of intent. I'll make sure I'll make sure to bury my copy in the sand for a thousand yeah. years and uh, yeah, have someone dig it up. So Jesper, what um, what chapter or piece did you write? Well, uh, I, I guess it doesn't get much edgier. It's uh, is it immoral to work? <laughs> in oil and gas and um, so I, I see you're, you're asking me in this uh, in the show notes have you had debates with people about this and yes every job interview because I actually listed on my uh, on my CV as a publication or kind of ish thingy so I was sitting uh, with OMV people uh, like the head of whatever and um, the head of that whatever and they're asking me, so what's your conclusion of this? And it's it's interesting because everyone has an opinion on it. And um, what's your what's your quick answer when someone asks you like, what 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 did you come up with? Go <laughs> like five minutes. Go. It depends. That's my favorite answer. But uh, that's yeah. very um, well. I I think it it comes down to a lot of personal choice if it's. Um, moral or not, if you're driving a car everywhere you go, you should also think about your consumption of of gas, actually. The people who have criticized me most for working in oil and gas were driving the biggest cars. So um, I I think it comes down to to a lot of of personal um, responsibility of what you want to do and what you um, also do within a company culture. So when I see uh, Shell invading the Nigerian um, um, parliament, I see that as a huge problem, but there's also people who are willing to do this. They are not not questioning this kind of behavior. And I, I think if there were less people who are willing to do things like this, it would also be less, we would have a better culture. So mm, you right. yourself always have to consider, is what I'm doing right now actually okay just because it's company sanctioned? Mm. There were a there was an article on NPR this morning that claimed, and I haven't verified their claim yet, that driving an electric car, <clears throat> if you live in Wisconsin, actually consumes more fuel than if you drive a gasoline car. 
because the dirty energy grid it's inefficient in the state in certain parts of the state apparently and um, I think that the lineage of energy consumption in in a total process or in a total workflow is not considered by the average consumer as you mentioned oh. um, no but it's, it's, solar panels I mean that sure. yeah to me that kind of sort of uh, statistic or whatever they, they always sound a little bit doubtful I just be not not because necessarily I not, I'm not saying I sort of doubt the um, well, no, I do doubt its veracity. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like it's the kind of thing that um, you can... How, how to put it? Like, you can trot stuff like that out if you're lobbying for oil and gas and it sounds kind of credible and you can probably actually produce numbers that seem to demonstrate it. But um, but we can all do that about pretty much anything. I, do you know what I mean? The... the, the the parameters are so kind of fuzzy and ill-defined, and the uncertainties are big enough that you could probably draw more or less any conclusion you want. I, I, I don't know. I'm not articulating that very well, but I just feel like it's it probably doesn't so help. So contract agile scientific <laughs> to give you numerical answers, right? No, I, I, you know, I just I just sort of think it it's got to be a bigger debate than whether this car is better than that car. Do you know what I mean? Like, in, in general, it seems like being dependent on electricity gives us more options for energy generation and coping with burning hydrocarbons than having lots of fuel-hungry vehicles around. That seems, I don't know, that, that seems reasonably true. Um, and so, in general, it's better to move vehicles towards being electric-powered vehicles and not not fuel powered, I think. And you may end up burning natural gas to get that fuel, but you can do that on a scale and in a way that's much more effective than burning gasoline in a in a three ton vehicle to move one person from A to B. It just feels um, you know, unless there's something I'm missing about the transmission of electricity in that part of the world or whatever. Um, it just feels like it has more optionality associated with it to me. Sure, this is not a forward-looking statement. I mean, this is just an analysis of one application in in one consumer setting. Yeah. And it may not even be true. I think it's also However, about right, but Wisconsin. I mean, um, Wisconsin doesn't have the best energy net. And it, the yeah, U U.S. in total doesn't have a very reliable and very efficient. Um, Completely inefficient. They're probably using, not, instead of tires, they're probably using wheels of cheese or something. <laughs> it's terrible, yes. <laughs> Who knows? But the other problem I have with 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 sort of lines of argument like that is it it it, it sort of re I feel like it reduces the debate to to things that are um, it's like overfitting a model. It's like reducing the debate to small things that uh, are you know debatable on another scale. So it's like oh well, we can have that debate because we can pull out sheets of specs on cars and stuff. But it also arms, you know, the very powerful lobby that wants to say that uh, energy change is not required and that there's no such thing as, um, as you know, climate change or that we're not causing or humans aren't causing it. And, and, and that just seems like it's, that seems regressive. Like that's not, that's not where we need to go from here. I, I, I love this idea that... 
that quote unquote ordinary people, you know, ordinary professionals in geoscience, can and should take part in the the policies and actions of the companies that they work in. Uh, and so I really like the way Jesper put that. That our culture and the culture of the petroleum industry actually just comes. It's not an external thing. It's a thing that we all contribute to. We can you know, contribute to it every day in the way we talk to people and the way we interact with our coworkers and so on. And I think it's a really powerful, important idea that we're part of that and can therefore change the trajectory that the industry is on. And so when there's a public perception of, you know, oh, what a bunch of crooks, they're always lying and they've got, you know, uh, ulterior motives and all this, it's like, well, um, yeah, a lot of that is totally true. And, um, and, and it's because of, and, and we're complicit in it if we're not talking about it and doing everything we can to change it. So, I, you know, anyway, just on the morality that, issue, I think that's a really important point. <laughs> that is a hell of a teaser for the <laughs> Now I'm going to have to buy it. <laughs> um, it sounds awesome. I'm, I'm sure that there's a, a lot of questions asked and maybe not answered, but examined in, th in thorough and interesting ways in the book. So check it out. There is now a link in the show notes. Here's my next question. Why does it take five to seven business days to become an EAGE member, <laughs> European and, and previous European? <laughs> it is sick. I mean, online process. So you should just be able to just ha make it happen, right? What's the deal? Yeah, that is weird. Is there some, do you, I mean, I'm a, I actually am asking. Do you guys know, is there some sort of application review period or something? I have no clue for the EAGE, but it takes no. a lot longer for the APEC, I think. Um, uh, one of my colleagues is trying to become a member there, and you have to have a sponsor, otherwise you won't be let in. So that is taking him uh, over I half a year that. now to apply there. <laughs> I think you, you, you don't need that now in SEG. You did until quite recently. Like You needed three, I think, uh, really? um, sponsors. Uh, yeah, otherwise you were... What, no. like, yeah, yeah. You were an associate member, I think it was called, or something like that. And to be a full member, you had to have these like references. Yeah. Huh. I didn't even know that. I guess. I, so I, I was I was an EAGE member years ago, and apparently I've let it lapse. And I went to go read some articles on their online platform, yeah. which is lovely. <laughs> um, and now I have to wait five to seven days to get access to the articles that I want to read. So oh, yeah, no. uh, that's great. I, um, yes, I think I'm a member and I still haven't figured out how to read their articles online. $20 per conference paper to read and I, I can't figure it out. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, for an organization built out of people who are cutting edge technologists and scientists, it seems a little... <clears throat> shall we say, uh, dis disorganized, or technologically incompetent, maybe. <laughs> um, so I apologize for that aside. Let's get back to our guest. Yes, but you, uh, you give a lot of talks and um, offer a lot of uh, good advice. Um, how did you kind of get into the sort of like, I don't want to say the academic or teaching domain, but sort of like the open public uh, information disseminating domain i don't know it just kind of happened <laughs> that's um it, it, it was a slippery slide i think it just 
started. Where did you start? I I just started reading online and getting on Twitter and getting to know Matt and just starting up my blog and from there on getting onto GitHub and publishing code and I've always been more open to well open source anyways because I kind of like the idea that I know what my code is doing under its hood so it was natural for me to just license my code open as well um, and also since since I was doing stuff for assignments I just like in in university I also licensed it open just because I figured it, it's the natural thing to do and um, I don't know the the teaching part just started out well in I don't know I I like to ask questions I'm very I'm a I'm a quite outspoken vocal person and when everyone else is just sitting there and wondering what's going on here I'm I like to be that person who's up front and saying I have no clue what's going on uh, can you explain <laughs> it to me I guess I'm I I'm I'm more comfortable with being the stupid person in the in the room um, or staging myself as, as the stupid person and asking can you explain this in another way to me because I'm really not getting it and um, usually after the fact is done and in private a couple people thank me for it so that's awesome that's uh, personally very valuable for me to to kind of just put myself out there and this starting to this has evolved into giving talks about topics and um, I don't know in informing people about about stuff I don't know I, I think the the two big big topics that touched on what I'm studying are climate change and fracking that are just these huge balls of bad information I don't know two sides just picking picking out the cherries out of the out of the stack and just throwing stuff at each other and I don't know I I feel like Getting information out to people, getting getting them the giving them the power to to use this information themselves is very valuable. I mean, I I don't care which side they go on as long as they can make an informed choice. So I that's why I got into talks and the lightning talks that I uh, used to do frequently. And yeah, I just like oh, there's communication. A link to <laughs> Excellent. There's a there's a link to one of your talks on uh, YouTube. Uh, Matt has a note here about a ball in a sock. What is this? <laughs> oh yeah. Um. So this this was actually a competition. Uh, the FameLab is you have three minutes to explain a scientific topic to an audience, and apparently I was doing good enough to uh, be led into the German finals, and I had a tennis ball in a sock which I, I use for juggling, so that's one of my hobbies. It's called a poi, and you just spin it around. And I, I just needed something to show elasticity because I wanted to say, okay, this is how we do seismics. We use elastic waves, and uh, this is elastic. It goes back to normal. And um, that just seemed like a very natural approach. And also I could make a stupid joke about... Prof well, I'm... I'm 
in this in this video, uh, I, I say something along the lines in German. And under professionals, we call this a sock in a ball. So that got a laugh out of people, and uh, that makes me more comfortable when people laugh uh, in the audience. <laughs> that worked. Well, it's very it's very cool. I like the uh, the idea of doing an explanation, a layman's explanation of complex scientific theory. Um, uh, so you were describing the seismic process. Yes, mostly. Um, it, yeah, uh, it was 2012. I was trying to get at the world's not going to end, and we know why. Uh, and here's why we know it. <laughs> and if it's going to end, I'm sorry, but you can't sue me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why isn't the world going to end? By the way. Uh, well, in 2012, it 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 wasn't ending because uh, well, we didn't have the a Mayans. Big... The Mayans were wrong. You think? <laughs> The Mayans were wrong. Yeah, then. no, uh, we, well, some, some people just read their calendar wrong. It was just like a, the, the big cycle uh, ending. So that would have been a year in our calendar. So our calendar starts new every, every other year. No, not every other year, every year. And they have like these different cycles. And one of the cycles is 5,000 years or something like that. And that would have ended on that doomsday. It's tough to, it's tough to keep up, man. I could, I can barely figure out what time zone we're all in. We were trying to schedule this this uh, session <laughs> earlier, and I couldn't add five or subtract five or something. It was wow, a rough morning. Um, so I wanted to mention, I t <laughs> so once again, you may have noticed that my stupid computer has kicked me out of this this recording in the beginning. And I do, all day it has been fine. So it's obviously something that I'm doing with this recording software, and it's driving me nuts. But anyway, so I, I, I missed the, the news section, but I did want to mention, and I just got back to this today. Mm -hmm. um, there's, this, there's this company uh, making a product called Soylent. Huh. So I don't know if you guys remember the old Soylent Green, the movie with Soylent Green. Um, mm. But essentially, um, this company is broken down food and nutrition into its constituent parts right so they wanted to create a product which would satisfy the nutritional constraints of a human being and rather than market it as food as something delicious <laughs> and entertaining they market it as fuel and i i just think that idea is fascinating that the 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 problem of fueling human beings the, the biological machine how do we how do we make this as simple and as efficient as possible so uh, this is this is about a year ago or something maybe two years ago that i heard about this and i i wanted to order some of their products and i they had a waiting list it was like a six month waiting list so <laughs> i ju i just thought about them today so right before we got on this call i ordered some soylent so there's a link in the show notes uh i'm gonna go on an all soylent diet for a week oh, and uh see see if i um survive or whatever so uh if you see me looking malnourished on the show in the next couple of weeks you'll know why. let's let's not do a show that week <laughs> please do a show i i will listen to it i promise <laughs> yes. it'll just be graham fantasizing about hamburgers <laughs> oh man um yes but i want to thank you for coming on the show it's it's been awesome and um 
I actually kind of also wanted to to not thank you for being on the show because now I have to buy that book. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I'll send you I, to make up for it. I'll send you a copy of the Rock Physics one for free. How's that? Yeah, well, I I did win that contest, by the way, Matt. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Where I was already promised a free copy I, I of that thought, book. I thought you were I thought you were second in that contest. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. You heard it here. That's on live TV or radio, where, wherever we are. Uh, yeah, everybody heard it. I need a free book. Yeah. Yes, but thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. See you next time on Understandable Radio. See you guys.